What's up, brother? And welcome to the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and men's lifestyle fulfillment coach. I've dedicated my life to helping men who feel like they're just not living up to their full potential to level up and become the king of their kingdoms. So whether you've been feeling stuck or numb or extremely angry with not living up to your greatest potential in any area of your life, then I'll be in your ears every week dropping some truly transformative episodes to help you become a man that you're proud to be. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. Hey, what's going on, my man? It's Johnny King here with another episode of the Becoming Kings podcast. And I am so fortunate to have uh, part two of a uh, dynamic duo, Stephen Fisher, who is the father of Matt Fisher, who I've had on the, the podcast already. And uh, he lives here in Denver, so he's local to me as well. He's uh, been a counselor since 1992. He's uh, done a lot of amazing things in helping people over 25 years of experience with families and individuals and group counseling and all the things. We're going to jump into uh, so many different topics, but really also they've got uh, a new book that's coming out and we're going to talk about uh, his experience of Matt's experience of uh, drug addiction and everything else and, and what that's like from uh, a, a parent's perspective. So Stephen, thank you for being on the, the podcast. It's a privilege to have you on. John, thank you for having me here. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really, really cool. And I love what you guys are doing, Co co-authoring a book, um, which is by the time we're releasing this, probably like have already been released or it's about to get released, which is kind of fun. Um, but what's, uh, you, you have another book that you've written previously, right? Yeah. You said uh, it's called Center Point. It's Holding Your Center. Um, holding your center. There you go. And holding your center is really about learning how to hold your center or hold your presence or your, your being present in the moment rather than letting all the ghosts of your past and all of your programming and all of your fear-based thinking from your past run the show. And, mm. and all these stories we'll talk about today with, with Matthew and myself, really the, 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 the basic practice of learning how to stay present in the moment and hold, hold my center in the face of a lot of difficult situations with my son. And also too, taking accountability for the fact that so many times as a parent, I lost my shit or I didn't hold my center. I wasn't the perfect parent and that impacted Matthew's growth as well, which all parents yeah. have to deal with their own existential guilt that way too. Yeah. And I think that's so valid, uh, such a, a, like a resonant um, idea because I've talked about it in times past, but you know, even when my mom was sick and soon to be passing back in 2006, I think the hardest thing for any of us to really experience at times is to to have someone who's hurting, someone we deeply love, especially if it's a family member or friend, and not be able to do quote unquote anything for them. Absolutely. And and yet, to to your point, I feel like holding your center, like being a rock, being there, being present, uh, and not losing your shit is all we really can do, right? Absolutely. So, Sounds like that's what you uh, not only have written on, but is kind of the some of the foundation of what you teach others. Mm -hmm. Which, God, the the world needs more of that. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And in and when uh, you know when you're holding your center and you're not in fight or flight, you think better, you make better choices, you handle situations right. a lot better than once you let your fears take over. Suddenly, it all swirls down the toilet bowl from there. Yeah, yep. there's many situations with with Matthew and I that 
I was having to try to stay in my thinking brain rather than just letting fight or flight take over mm-hmm. and, you know, hopefully handle some situations um, better because of it. And that's yeah. the, thing, the kind of things that I teach. Well, and walk me through some of the things, because uh, uh, I got that, I, I just feel, I imagine it's such a, a challenging situation to be in, um, just as, like I said, as a, as a parent, as a husband, as a, just as a human being, to be in the work that you're doing, uh, that you've been doing for most of your professional career, but then to have one of your children spiraling out of control and feel like, you know, how, how did this happen? You know, I thought, you know, I would think my imposter syndrome alarms would go off and be like, I'm supposed to be teaching this, supposed to be good at this, what, what's going on, and whether it be shame or whatever else. But what were some of the, uh, if you can kind of just talk about where the, the, the book leads in terms of the stories you tell or kind of a little bit more from your perspective of what you experienced um, with Matt's experience through drug and alcohol and everything else that he got into as a teenager. Yeah, absolutely. So the title of the book is Light Shines to the Broken Pieces, A Father and Son's Journey to Healing. And Mm. uh, Matt came up with that title because I think it's a good metaphor for, you know, just feeling the brokenness of all the pieces of his life and of our life as a family in the middle of all that. But there's Mm. still light shining through it. Like at the core of who we are as a human being is a goodness. And Mm. that goodness in Matt was always there. And I always saw that through all the worst of situations. And it's seeing, being able to see the good in your children and in other people in the middle of these really difficult situations, I think that brings an element of healing and helps you hold your center and helps you be more present in the face of it, not just think, oh my gosh, the world's all screwed up or my kids all screwed up or I'm just all screwed up and that's the final truth because it's not the final truth, even though some situations can feel like it. So yeah. for example, to answer your question, some of those situations were like, you know, when Matthew was about 18 or 19 and he had a bad acid trip with some friends and he called us at one o'clock in the morning to go pick him up. And when we found him, he was on the phone with my wife all the time and he was, you know, tripping hard and trying to direct her across town. We were somehow found him and it was, you know, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning by this point. And he was like shivering the cold. It was snowing outside. He was sitting on his car without his keys because the girl in the apartment where he was, they were tripping had kept the keys because she didn't want to drive. And, and he was just shivering with no shoes, flimsy t-shirt and, and, and jeans and, and, and the car in the snow. And we looked at the relief on his face, which is so like, oh my God, thank God you're here. And then when I was driving him home, he kept on saying, dad, the love is all gone. Where did it go? Where did it go? I said, Matt, it's right here. It never left. And that moment, just the profound tenderness, but also the poignancy and the, and just feeling hurt for your son because it, there's nothing I could do to help him feel better in that moment, except just to be there with him. And in the being with him there, we did make a difference for him. And he'll tell you that. He'll tell you that kind of thing changed his life. But in the moment, there's nothing I could do. Mm-hmm. I'm completely powerless. And with my son, completely in the middle of a really bad trip and just freaking out and telling me there is no love. And that's the hardest thing for any parent to hear, but just trying to be present with him and love him in the face of that. And so in that story, you know, we got home a little while later and then he was still tripping hard. So we put him in a pallet at the foot of our bed and it was like three o'clock in the morning at this point and we're just exhausted. So we're asleep 40 minutes later, we just wake back up and he's gone. And it's like, damn, where'd you go? So we, you know, we, we looked around and we found him meditating under a tree across the street. So he was, getting to a little bit better <laughs> experience at that point in time. 
And then, you know, after that, the whole next month, he was in a really dark place. As a parent, you're just so scared for your child. And that feeling mm-hmm. of helplessness and powerlessness, but still just showing up for him was the best we could do. So that's one story um, among many stories. When I, yeah, when I interviewed him, uh, that seems to be one of the kind of the, the, the story that is the catalyst or uh, catalyst or the pivot point for where his journey starts really stepping into healing and him real, really realizing like he can't keep doing this, you know? And, but, but it's interesting to hear you say too, though, like that the next month, it's not like, okay, from there, everything's, you know, sunshine and and roses. It it really was a very dark month as he continued to kind of probably face his demons and you guys all doing it together. But uh, man, I just got to imagine so many people don't make it out of that, especially once they're really going down that road, they don't have the support, they don't have the love and they don't kind of pull out of that nosedive. Um, and it's, it's again, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to talk to you guys from this perspective of saying like, yeah, I mean, the healing never ends, right? Uh, right. The journey of healing never ends, but you guys have certainly turned your mess into uh, a profound message, which is really, really powerful. Yeah. So it's, it's, when did you start to notice um, things were going awry? Was it, was he a teenager? Was it even younger? Um right. When what do you think little, that was? Well, so so Matthew is a redhead. He's got, he's a fiery redhead. He's got all the, the 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 stereotypical characteristics of the fiery redhead. He came out of that womb that way. He was always <laughs> very intense temperament, which is such yeah. a beautiful because he could connect in such a profound, emotionally connected way, even as a little mm-hmm. kid. But mm-hmm. then he had these really strong emotional reactions, and he had that temperament to begin with. And um, so um, so. And so just, so we noticed that early on. And then he was not quite two years old when his twin brothers were born and mm. he was knocked off the throne big time. And he wanted to throw them in the trash because they took away all his attention from us. And then right. that right. was really hard, hard, hard for him. And then, so we were struggling through, through years and years of their conflicts with him feeling, uh, you know, like they were taking his attention away. And then he started getting healthy with that, probably, you know, 15, mm-hmm. 15 or 16. But before that, he was really, really hard on him. Like when he was like 12 or 13, um, I was having the ground opening of, of my counseling office in the Denver metro area. And he um, was with his my other sons and another friend in the parking lot. He beat up one of my other twins in the parking lot during the grand mm-hmm. opening of my counseling office. Now, um, we had to sort through all that, but those you know, that's how it all evolved to the teenage years and the feeling, like you talk about the feeling of imposter syndrome or the feeling of shame or the feeling of, you know, how can I continue to do what I do when this happens in my family? And mm-hmm. um, those, um, and, and, but, but honestly, none of that was really important in the face of my son's pain. Yeah. What was really important was being there for my, all of my sons, my, both of my twins and for Matthew. And what was really most important on our agenda was the love that we share as a family and learning how mm-hmm. to find that and how to talk about the issues and deal with the issues honestly and directly, but really get back to the core truth of love, which is at the heart of every human being. And I think that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest message that had Matthew pull through all these years of his struggles with emotional struggles, ups and with really intense emotions plus the, the substance abuse and everything else, it was that consistent message of who you are is a good person and who you are is a human being and who you are is a loving person. He heard, he heard that message from us over and over again, even while we're having to set boundaries or 
or to do things when he was acting out. And I think that message of love is trite, but it's really true that that's, I think that's probably the main message he got from us over the years that helped him pull through all that. Yeah. Gosh. And I feel like that's probably at the, at the basis of a lot of our deeper, darker fears is that maybe that we're not worthy of, of love um, or that we're not enough. Right. right. Um, right. And we, and, and to have that continually being reinforced with like, no, nope, you are loved and you don't have to earn it. Uh, it's just, right. you know, you're, you're right. And I think that's to your point, really what did probably pull him through. Right. So, and not only is gosh, he loved, but he's, a, he's a good human being, even though he's acting poorly, he's making a lot of poor choices and got, he's got some real character defects that are causing him to make the same poor choices over and over again. He's still a really good person. He's still mm-hmm. the same amazing, wonderful human being today that he always was. He's just learning how to handle himself a lot better now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how is, especially in those formative years, how do you go about, gosh, uh, and I got to imagine at some point you started to recognize or sense that he was abusing some type of substances. How do you, how do you even work, especially coming from your, your position of being a counselor, how do you work to give a, an up and coming adult, you know, a, a teenager going through all the various hormones and all the other things that we all have experienced going through teenage years, uh, the t- tools to, to handle one's emotions and to work through life, you know, without losing your shit, you know, cause I think that's, we all struggle with that even as adults. You sure, know? sure. So from a parenting point of view, I really like, um, um, you know, there's some popular parenting programs out there. One of them is love and logic. And I really like the theme or the presence of the, or the, the basic message of that, which is you have to have that love that we just talked about, but you also have to have logic, which is rules, structures, boundaries, and there are consequences for your actions. And you have to have consequences and boundaries and limitations, but you want to do that in a loving manner. And mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of us as parents, we fall off the wagon was when we're all upset, we're pissed off because our kid is acting out and we'll set the boundaries, but we do it in an angry sort of way. Mm-hmm. Or we may not set boundaries that are strong enough um, because we're trying to, to protect our kid too much. And so mm-hmm. learning how to have strong and firm boundaries, but do it in a loving way is really important. So. Another example of when Matthew was a teenager in middle school, I was still around 13 because this was his fire time. We're going through puberty. He was just on fire during that time, emotionally speaking. And he got in a fight with a kid at school. I mean, we'd heard that this other kid, or he heard from friends that this other kid was picking on other kids. And so his friends, you know, wanted to boost him up to get him to fight this kid. And so it's one of those classic situations behind the lunchroom during the lunch hour, all the kids around yelling, fight, fight, fight. And, you know, my kid hit this other kid a couple of times in the face. And the other kid did not hit my son back. He went straight to the staff. Mm. The staff called the school resource officer, the SRO. And because the other kid didn't fight back and my kid did hit him. Um, and the kid was bleeding pretty bad from his face, his nose and his mouth. Um, they took my son to jail. They took him to the Jack, the juvenile assessment center. He had charges. He got assault, assault charges and he had to be, go, go to court every month for a year. He was on probation for a year. And, mm. and so at, and on the middle of all that, what his mom and I had to do was to one, hold the truth of knowing that our son is a good kid. He's a good person. And we love him and he loves us. At the same time, there are absolute consequences for his choices and he needs the full consequences of his choices. And I was actually grateful for this other family choosing to press charges because at the time, Matthew was out of our control. We didn't know what to do. And this gave us a no, another external situation that 
was clearly stronger boundaries than we could yeah. set without the legal consequence because he'd, he'd made the choices to get himself to that point. And mm. there was one time where mm-hmm. one of the support conditions was he couldn't smoke pot. And we knew he mm. had smoked pot during that time, but he'd passed the ways he got away with it. So we were walking into court and we're sitting in the conference room with our lawyer and with Matthew right before court happens. And I said, Matt, I know you smoked pot. I know you got away with it because you passed the ways. I'm gonna have to tell the judge. I'd rather you tell the judge, but if you don't, I'm going to. How do you want to handle that? So in that situation, mm-hmm. I gave him a choice. I delivered the message kindly with empathy. I was letting him know what a great kid he is. I love him, but I'm presenting these very, very strong consequences for his choices. Mm-hmm. Was it right or wrong? I don't know. It was the best I knew how to do at the time. Yeah. Other times I may come on strong or not strong enough. Probably. I'm mm-hmm. a good parent. Am I a great parent? No. Do I make do I, well, I am a great parent, but am I, do I, am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I make mistakes? Absolutely. But mm-hmm. that seemed the best thing for me to do at the time. And he went and he told the judge and our, even our lawyer was telling us, Steve, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> but I said, no, I got to do it. I'm sorry. This is the right thing to do. And those kind of strong boundaries helped Matthew to start to learn some limitations and learn from consequences if he wasn't going to listen to us trying to connect them in a positive way. So I think... As parents, mm-hmm. having those strong boundaries and consequences without delivering the message in an angry manner is really, really important and focusing on the love while the hammer is coming down. Right. And I think that's the, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like that's that's a clear uh, indication of you and your wife having done a lot of work and, and healing and self-introspective yeah. uh, work like myself such that you, like you said, the, the, the imposter syndrome stuff and the guilt and the shame, I'm sure it was being triggered a lot, but I do feel like a lot of times people get angry and reprimand their children really because they're triggering their own insecurities of like, how, how have I failed my child, you know, but they take it out on their child versus doing it with love. And all that does is communicate to the child that they're not loved and they're not worthy and they're not enough. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's yeah. the most important thing too. Are we, are we disciplining our child because of our own fears or because we know it's the right thing to do and not just discipline, mm-hmm. but how we do it. And that's why in that whole situation, the main focus, well, and um, the other situation where, you know, he beat his brother up in the, in the parking lot at the grand opening of my counseling office. That was mm-hmm. that. And the court situation, probably situations where his mom and I were like, feeling the pressure and feeling, you know, judgment from ourselves, from our community, being therapists and having to focus on what's most important, which is our relationship with our kid and our love for our kid and doing what we feel is right, regardless of the external circumstances. Mm -hmm. And that's often a hard choice to make and you have to do a gut check and you do have to do, I think Johnny, what you said about having to do your own inner work is so true. And when I say inner work, what I mean is, Focusing on really understanding and facing your own fears, your own history of trauma, your own your own issues that may cause you to act poorly, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. or to overreact or underreact or or do it in a in a fear based manner rather than doing it from your your core truth of love. And when you're doing your own work and you you're facing your own fears and having an awareness of your own emotional baggage, then it's so much more possible to act in a healthy way from your best self, from your wiser mind, rather than letting your fight or flight take over and letting your fear run the show. Yeah. Because if you let your fears take over, you're not going to like where it takes you. That's right. 
But if you can really understand and face and release your fears, then it's possible to connect with that own core truth of love and divinity within yourself. When you can do that, then you'll make better choices in any given situation, regardless when you're not letting fight or flight take over. Right. And I think that's why I was just excited to have you on and to get your side of the perspective of the story as well, because the whole idea behind the Becoming Kings podcast is really about men becoming, um, you know, the kings or rulers of their own lives, their own over their own emotions, over yeah. their finances, their relationships, all the things that they actually can control versus attempting to control the things that they can't. Um, right. And and whether their parents or not, whether they plan to have children or they already have some or they don't, they're going to be in positions of, I mean, just men are in positions of, to, to lead, whether it be leading themselves, leading others, leading coworkers or people that they're managing. There's always opportunities and things that I think that they can glean from this conversation in uh-huh. a multitude of ways because it's, it's relevant for leadership and Absolutely. owning owning one's own center to, to go off what you were saying earlier. Right. Absolutely. So I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's really, really powerful. One thing that I feel like uh, kind of coming around full circle in some sense, you know, sound like things started to kind of uh, you notice even from an early age when the twins were born, you know, yep. Matt was like, what the heck, especially as a two-year-old, you know, you're just yep. realizing things have changed. You're no longer the center of your parents' lives. Right. Yep. Yep. But then to have the pendulum swing far to the other side, where all of a sudden Matthew is kind of, you know, out of, uh, out of control in some regards, 12, 13, 14, that sort of thing. Uh, and probably so much time and attention was being focused on him from you and your wife. Were you, I imagine you were, uh, but this is kind of a leading question. How, how did you make sure that you're still there for your twin boys as well? Cause that, that can leave some PTSD or uh, you know, some other, Absolutely. the wake of that can be really tough for them going through a, a similar stage. Right. Yeah. Right. How were you getting into all that and, and supporting them? Absolutely. While Matt was doing his thing. So, um, so, um, so there's another book I wrote about that called The Joy of Fatherhood, which is when they were kids and all the stories of mm. those kinds of things. And um, mm. and it's always hard to do that. Now, so I'm just going to back up to the teenage years again. When, when Matthew was probably 15, 16, 17, a little older, after he beat up his brother, he really was really ashamed, felt a lot of shame. And he started to change. He started to get healthier. And when he was like 16 or 17, he was really apologizing to, to our twins. And he really... And at that point, they're like, well, screw you, dude. You've been horrible this all these years. And now you're getting healthy on me. Well, you know, yeah. I've had not, I don't yeah. want to be part of that. And it took my twins a couple of years to really forgive him and to let it go. And he just apologized mm. over and over again. And, and after a couple of years, they did let it go. And they're really great friends today. But it took them a while to get there. And that was always on me and their mom's mind. How do we support the twins through all the very, very difficult situations? And mm-hmm. um and especially during those times, just the angst and the heartache of that. So last, my, my, one of my um, twins um, teaches out in San Francisco, and I was out visiting him for Thanksgiving. And we had a really long, deep, heartfelt talks, and he really kind of, you know, let me have it pretty hard about how he thought I, I you know, let him down or not been there because we're so focused on Matthew or we're so worried about him or we didn't do, and we, we second-guess ourselves all the time. And... Mm. What I remember from that conversation most about that conversation was, you know, 
I said, you know what? I know you felt like in some ways I wasn't there for you back then, but I'm here for you now. And I'm really sorry that I wasn't, that I made mistakes. And no matter what mistakes we make, just taking accountability for it and owning up to your part can still promote healing without requiring the other person to do whatever ownership you think they should take for you. Mm-hmm. Can be a huge, huge shift and a, and a opening for that. And I do, I mean, we got extraordinary relationships with all three boys. We have extraordinary kids, but it hasn't been easy. And keeping that flame alive for them and keeping there for them during all those times of years when Matthew was going off was really, really difficult. And we didn't always do the best of it. We just did the best we could. Yeah. Well, you bring up a very uh, relevant topic too, I think, for anyone who's maybe uh, dealing with the support of uh, addict, alcoholic, anything like that. I think it's, you know, I can imagine, um, and maybe you deal with other people in your account that have been through this. It's like, um, you know, you, you support someone, you're there for them, you love them through it, you believe in them, you see the best in them, and then they do get better. But then you're kind of like, well, you know what? I've been trying to keep my shit together for so long. And then there's resentment that builds. And then there's almost like a counter, like resentment, repression, anger, revenge, like, fuck you. Like, oh, now you're better. You, you think life will just go back to perfect. Well, guess what? I need to kind of grieve the fact that I've been, I've lost a couple of these years, you know, or however long. How, how, how did you work with your sons? How do you work with other patients? How do you work for that for you and your wife in terms of like, man, now our, our children are getting healthier. Is that, do you see that at all with the twins or with, like I said, people that you work with where like all of a sudden then it's the, the one that was healthy <laughs> and then was holding space and was the, was the rock and then becomes like, they're the child. Like, you know what? Screw you. Now I need my time to yeah. release or let that energy come out if they're keeping right. it in and trying to hold space for someone. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It does. So first and foremost, really listening to my twins and other and clients and other people, really listening and mm-hmm. understanding their pain without trying to fix it. And that's really key. Just holding space. I call it being the empty cup. It's just an, mm-hmm. it's an old Zen Cohen or metaphor about holding that space without judgment or criticism or trying to fix and really listening to people's pain without trying to fix it and acknowledging their pain and acknowledging, yeah, that was hard and acknowledging where you may have screwed up and not done so well. And there's the importance of nothing. And what I mean is all the somethings we would do in that situation would be some form of an ego trip to try to fix it or to block our own pain out. All the somethings we try to do is all some kind of uh, dysfunctional coping strategy. And if you cannot do all the dysfunctional coping strategies and just be an empty space where you can listen, be non-judgmental, understand, own up to your part of things without trying to get all defensive about it, that right there makes all the difference in the world. And I think that ability to really listen without judgment and without defensiveness is really important. That's what we practice with each other over the years yeah. and with our kids and what we've watched was so gratifying is to see them do that with each other because we did our best to model that as parents. And I, and through this whole healing process, we've seen them do that with each other because they learned mm-hmm. it from us. So even though it mm-hmm. got really dark, they were getting the tools from which to work through all this and heal through all this. And knowing that regardless, if you feel powerless or unimportant or like you don't matter or not good enough or all these things, those fear-based thinking, those beliefs, I call them core fears, those core fears don't define you. 
who mm-hmm. you are as a human being and what defines you is your nature as a loving person. Mm-hmm. All these things, you may make mistakes, but you are not a mistake. You may have character defects, but they don't define your nature. And learning how to love yourself and forgive yourself makes it easier for you to forgive other people too. Right. We so, are not our past behavior. Right. Those things don't ultimately define us. Now, we do have to have the consequences of our past behavior and choices, but that doesn't mean they had to define your nature. And that's a very right. big distinction. Yes. 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 That's a huge distinction. And I think that's the... Uh, really at the crux of a lot of healing that men need to <laughs> really hear the truth of. Uh, and if they haven't, if it hasn't sunk in yet, hopefully maybe they're it's sinking in now and then kind of have to go back and just repair and heal. And uh, like you said, not live in the past of right. your past mistakes, um, but stay present in the moment and keep focusing on that, doing the work of the healing. Um, and also too, just as a parent feeling like at times feeling like a complete failure, here I am a therapist and a parent and feeling like I'm failing at both and learning mm-hmm. that those thoughts and those feelings, even if I am getting positive or negative feedback from other people, which I got both, <laughs> um, th- those things ultimately don't define me. And I still have to look within and I have to look at my own fears and be my own process of understanding and releasing my fear-based thinking yeah. so I can act from an authentic core place of honesty and being forthright and, and loving and act with integrity from my own inner true north and my own inner compass rather than trying to fix or placate or or dance around some circumstances that I, you know, my ego doesn't know how to deal with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, amen to that too. How did you, uh, being that you and your wife both, you know, come from a similar kind of background in education, did you find that it um, just all the things that your all your sons have kind of gone through through their teenage years and that sort of thing? Did you feel like it made you guys stronger? Did you bring it together? Were the times where it kind of like pushed you guys apart? How did you work on? I mean, we've talked about your relationship with Matt. You've talked about your relationship with your uh, twins. How about just your relationship with your wife and how did that you know impact your day to day marriage and relationship? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um in the long run, it really brought us closer and it's given Mm -hmm. us a really kind of an extraordinary um, level of connection with each other, but that doesn't mean it's easy. And that doesn't mean that there's times we haven't questioned the relationship, we haven't questioned Mm -hmm. each other, or we have had our own patterns or cycles of conflict. That's what I I call them. I call them cycles of conflict or patterns of conflict that repeat themselves over and over again in relationships. And we've certainly had all those situations that those, those patterns that have that these struggles with Matthew and their whole lives have called into question, but over and over again, our cycle conflict has been a, um, it's been a spiritual practice of learning how to own my shit instead mm-hmm. of blaming the other person. Cause the problem mm-hmm. in, in relationships, the problem is not you. And the problem is not the other person. The problem is the blame game and how we communicate in a blaming mm-hmm. or critical manner, or even mm-hmm. blame ourselves, which is, which is the same ball of wax. And so yep. learning how to own your part, and communicate your real thoughts and feelings without avoiding conflict, but without playing the blame game and going after the other person, make them the problem. That right there is a process of growth that is as truly as spiritual discipline, as powerful as any I've ever come across. Mm-hmm. And I can say I'm, much, I'm a much healthier, much more centered, much more clear human being today through having to work out these issues with my sons, with my wife, with, with my fr- friends and family 
And I'm very, very grateful for this process, but that doesn't mean it's been easy. So when we first got married, I'm always the type that, that crosses the boundaries. I want to go for the, you know, the core of truth. I want to be honest with you, authentic. I want to kind of go for it. And my, and I'm, you know, especially when I was younger, I didn't have as much respect for people's fears or concerns or boundaries. I, was, I wasn't afraid to kind of cross the social lines or, or you know, just to, to do what I felt was real. And my wife has right. deep respect for people's boundaries. And so we caught, we'd be at a dinner party and I'd be like bringing up all these deep subjects that were probably a little bit much for the situation. My wife's under the table, stepping on my foot, like, shut up. Because mm-hmm. like, I would just, because she was feeling uncomfortable because I was being too, a little too out there in social situations. And so we've had to work at our own differences and both kind of come to the middle need to learn a little more respect for the social norms and conventions and people's boundaries. And, and my wife to learn how to, to swing out there and be real and to put it out there a little bit more and to, yeah. you know, we've both really learned a lot from each other that way. And we've mm-hmm. grown a lot together. And I feel, I feel incredibly blessed to have such an extraordinary relationship with such an amazing person as my wife after 27 years of marriage. Mm-hmm. But, and I, and, and, and I feel, feel very blessed, but that doesn't mean it's been easy though. Right. Right. Well, I feel like uh, the, the bigger the emotion that is, repressed, suppressed, uh, typically the, the more, um, intense, the coping mechanism, you know, if it's not just one glass of wine, it's a bottle of wine. It's, you know, drinking all the time, it's drugs, it's pornography, gambling. Um, but I do feel like uh, never having really been, um, a major substance abuser personally, I will say though, that I've, really struggled over the years over my lifetime through kind of apathy and numbness uh, or rage uh, and just kind of vacillating between those two extremes because of how much anger I've repressed over the years, you know? And so for me, sometimes it leaks out of me sometimes, uh, and this may not be in your situation or your instance, but for me, sometimes I overshare because I don't actually have a healthy way of expressing what's going on and it just comes out. And then after the fact, I beat myself up, be like, why did I say that? Like, what the heck? But I think it all goes back to the point that I'm trying to make, which is, um, you know, giving, whether it be teenagers, children, adults, and I I preach this a lot on the podcast, especially with these men who I contact with, who just have so much anger pent up, you know, and they're keeping it always down because they don't really feel like they're allowed to express it or they don't know how to express it without being violent. Um, but what are things that you teach or, you know, support your clients with, or support your, yourself and your, your boys with in terms of how to effectively and healthfully get emotion, whatever emotion that is that a lot of times we keep inside, how do you get it out so that it doesn't turn violent or negative? Right. Right. So first of all, I I just want to say, having had to been through this process and learn how to deal with my own anger and Matthew had to learn how to deal with his. There's a story Matthew tells. I don't know if he told you on his podcast, but when he was working at a rehab center, he was dealing with a guy who was coming off of meth. Mm. And the guy was intense and aggressive. And everybody else in the building was kind of crouching behind the the walls and the in the corners. And he was able just to really fully be with this guy and just sit down on the stairs with him and just talk to him. And the guy was like threatening and angry and threatening to leave and to you know, try to go get a kitchen knife out of the kitchen. And it was really intense. And because of what he's been through, he's able to hold his cool, be completely calm and center with this person to after about 15 mm. minutes. This guy's completely calm. And he's got that gift now because he's been through it. He's learned how to come in touch with his own anger and he's really learned how to kind of heal it. So 
that's absolutely learning how to deal with your own anger is so important but when you do it also gives you real gifts of how to be with other people in those places in a non-reactive manner now that's yeah. the trick right there is learning how to be with other people's emotion and stay what i call the empty cup or stay in that non-reactive calm clear centered and present non-judgmental place yeah so if i'm working you know with couples or the father or the or the mother's angry if I can really be with those people and them feel not judged and feel really understood for their point of view, people come down every single time. So my personal story, my, my grandmother on my mother's side was an alcoholic. Mm. The doctor told her it was either going to be her lungs or liver because she was a chain smoker and the liver got her, but she would hide the bottles and all that kind of stuff. And then my mom had a lot of anger as well. And so mm. I grew up with alone with my own anger, which I worked really hard on as a, as a father, as a husband, as a therapist to try to deal with. And I could see when Matthew's on his anger, I can see him acting out mine and, and having to deal with all that stuff. Now, did I ever cross the line with him? No, that was a perfect no. But there's times like when um, Matthew was 13. And again, the 13 year old, he was in that fire time. That was a crazy time in his life. And yeah. I was telling him he had to go back and vacuum because uh, he'd done a poor job of vacuuming downstairs. He just punched me in the face. Mm. Didn't see it coming. I, I was shocked and I was, I was surprised. I was just so incredibly sad that mm. it would come to this. I just never thought that was going to happen. So I did not hit him back. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but he did have to have consequences and things like that. But he cut his hand here. And so he had, I had taken to get stitches because I had a little cutting on my job and it wasn't bad. And um, so there's a couple hours later, we're in the ER with the doctor sewing my son's hand up and he asked what happened. So I said, well, he hit me in the face. And so he, I saw the doctor look at his hand, he looked at my face, he looked all over Matthew to see if there was any other marks or bruises because he's a mandated reporter. If yeah. I had hit Matthew back, he would have had to call the human services yeah. on me. I was yeah. really, you know, glad I didn't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, Matthew says, like that situations like that whereas i taught him the value of not non-aggressive approach non-aggressive approach to conflict but that doesn't mean i didn't have my own anger and mm -hmm. that we all have to deal with but it's learning how to forgive yourself and how to understand your own fears that may cause you to act out like my own fears of feeling powerless with my own mother or right. feeling not good enough or feeling shamed that i would react to with anger that that are the places of source of shame for me learning how to forgive myself and to hold myself to a better standard, even in difficult situations, to where when I see my son acting out the anger, he's probably picked up at least partially for me, I have to own accountability for my part of that and not just play the blame game and make him out to be the scapegoat. And for yep. us all to own our part and to hold him accountable for his anger, but to do it in a loving way where I'm not hitting him back when he hits me back, but he still has to have the consequences of his choices. Right. And that right there has been huge to learn how to forgive myself and others for this anger. And so it's really, to answer your question, the fundamental part of healing this anger is to be in that, that clear non-judgmental space that I call the empty cup for yourself as well as for others. And to not learn how not to define yourself by your character defects, but to give mm -hmm. yourself a break and to realize that you're a good person, even though you make bad choices. And even though you have character defects that cause you to make the same bad choices over and over again, you're still a human being. And you mm. still can work to hold yourself to a higher standard, but don't do it out of guilt and shame, but do it because you know you're a good person 
even though you just screwed up. And then you mm-hmm. do that over and over again. And you have to keep on putting your pants on every morning, one leg at a time and doing the best you can every day, even though you may be beating yourself up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, there's so much gold in what you just said, because for me, I've learned that too, where I realized, you know, okay, a big part of uh, a healthy expression of my anger or my emotions for me, which a lot of men don't do. And, and I didn't either until I started to really get into this work as well is communication is communicating, getting it out. Right. Yes. However, I didn't fully realize that because I didn't, I didn't even with communicating, I wasn't necessarily feeling like I was making a whole lot of progress. And I realized I was falling into the kind of the recycling of emotions because I was attaching the communication with so much self-judgment to your point, so much self-judgment. I was beating myself up. And even though I was expressing or getting these emotions out, they weren't really getting out. They just kind of were spinning inside me, which was even getting more frustrating and more angry, you know, because I didn't know what to do. And, but again, going back on full circle, which you guys have been doing with your, with your children is so, so important, which is like just coming from a place of love, you know, you know, you are worthy and you are a great person and you're not defined by your past behaviors. And man, if we could all do that, even with our own self-talk, you know, I, I think we'd all as men and women all be uh, better versions of ourselves. But I think absolutely. that's a big, big part of it. Right. Absolutely. And learning how to express and get it out is important, but how are we getting it out? Are we just mm-hmm. playing the blame game and either blaming others or blaming ourselves? <clears throat> Right. that's a toxic way of expressing anger. That's just going to dig the hole deeper. Agreed. But are you able to express your feelings without blaming yourself or others, but these are still your feelings and mm-hmm. be able to express those feelings in a way that actually moves the ball forward, not shuts the conversation down. And when you can mm-hmm. express your feelings while you're owning responsibility for your feelings, instead of saying the world or these other people or something else is to blame for my feelings, that's where the healing process can happen. It's really only responsibility for all of your experience and all of your feelings. Yes, they yep. are your feelings, but that doesn't mean they're somebody else's fault. That doesn't mean right. they're the fault of the world or the politics of today or God knows what. You know, we <laughs> are responsible for our own feelings. That doesn't mean we are to blame for our own feelings. That's, sure. that's, those are two, responsibility and blame are two very different things. Responsibility mm-hmm. means you did it and you have to accept the consequences of it. Blame means not only you did it, but therefore you a bad person because you did it. And that's right. a whole different ballgame. Right. That that uh, definitely drops more below the line, even into the shame, which so many guys struggle with as well. Right. Like uh-huh. you are a bad person, you yeah. know, and and that's uh, yeah, that's a really, really tough place to be. Um, but I was thinking, too, if, if I were a listener of this episode, even five years ago, I can imagine myself being in the shoes of like I'm intellectually understanding what you and I are talking about. Right. But, but to your point too, of like, you've got to put on your pants one leg at a time and just, it's just repetitions. It's like going to the gym. You have to do it, um, over, over months, if not years to the point where you really can embody that self self love, love for others. Right. Otherwise you're just kind of going through the motions and it intellectually clicks, but operationally it's not actually embodied. Right. Right. You just keep on doing the next right thing and the next right thing and the next right thing, yeah. and the next right thing right. over and over again until it becomes, becomes your new normal. And that's hard to do when all your fears and all the programming of your past and your ego mm-hmm. conditioning is telling you to do something else. Mm-hmm. And if you can really be thoughtful and careful of checking out into your old coping strategies and just really being present in the moment 
and respond to the needs of the current situation rather than letting the ghost of your past run the show, then it, yep. that takes you in a healing direction. Yeah, it just takes, it takes, uh, not, not to <laughs> dissuade you guys from, from doing the work. It just takes time. And you have to realize it's such, it's, it's a marathon or it's an ultra marathon or it's a lifetime marathon. It, uh, just as long as you're making progress, you know, I think for men to detach from like, oh, when I get to the end, once I heal myself, like, man, I don't know if the journey ever ends. And quite frankly, it's just fun to, to actually get into it and realize there is so much space for other people when we can get ourselves out of the way through right. our own loving and, and of ourselves and forgiveness of ourselves. And we can forgive and love others more deeply wow. and allow us to be better husbands and fathers and, you know, people the community right Absolutely. so it's such a it's such a powerful conversation it's such a powerful message you guys are putting out there and it's really cool like i said to have your perspective um well both of you guys perspectives but then to have it kind of coupled into the into the book so um just i like i said i know as as a recording of this you know the book's not out yet but by the time we put it out the book will be available what what is it uh let's say an overarching message that you hope people receive from from reading the book what, what might that be sure sure so number one it's okay and if it's if, if it's not okay then the story's not done yet mm. and just know that you keep on continuing to try to be the best version of you and to try to look to your better nature and understand yeah. and keep on releasing and use every experience you have as an opportunity for growth rather than as a reason to blame yourself. Your, mm -hmm. your past, your character defects, your problems, the things you've done wrong ultimately do not define you. Who you mm -hmm. are is a good person. And learning to act from your, your inner nature of, of, of your own inner goodness is what helps you continue to grow. And, mm -hmm. um, and all these stories, they're so, they're so near and dear to my heart. They're so tender and they're so, touching and they're so beautiful and so raw in so many ways that I wouldn't trade it for the world. And it's made me the man I am today. Mm. And I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. I wouldn't trade a bit of it. So, awesome. and, and to have the extraordinary son that I have and, and all three of my sons, I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. And mm. so I feel extraordinarily blessed um, to be here. And I thank you for taking the time to, for us to talk today. Oh gosh, absolutely. And I, you know, knock on wood, I don't have kids yet, but I, uh, can only hope to to be as blessed to have some little ones in the future, boys and girls. We'll see, uh, and to be uh, you know a better <laughs> father and, and husband to my uh, future wife. You know, and, and just in regards to, or as a result of having these type of conversations with with men who are walking the talk. So, I so much appreciate your time and you you sharing your journey. And um, like I said, I'll I'll put into the show notes here when I post uh, where guys can link straight to the book. Um, but if they're not able to click on the link, uh, is there a place, a website they can go, Amazon, where, where do you think they can find the book to purchase? Right. So, um, it will be on Amazon. It'll also probably be on my own website. My website is centerpointfs.org and it'll be on there. Um, and, uh, it'll be coming out in bookstores. So I'm, I'm not sure all the venues, but it will certainly be on all the main ones that you're looking for. Love it. So. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, those that are listening can probably, uh, just go to my Instagram and, and uh, connect to your book that way as well. Cause I'm sure I'll be promoting it also, but thank you again, uh, Steven so much for your, your vulnerability, your honesty, your just so much um, 
kind of sage wisdom <laughs> in, yeah. in what you've been through. Like you said, it's, uh, it's not been the easiest of roads that you've traveled by any means, but it's so nice to see that uh, it's always worth it and uh, to be a stronger version of you, a more healed version of you because you've taken responsibility. Um, it's really, really powerful. So thanks for being on. Really appreciate yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Absolutely. Thanks guys uh, for listening. Definitely go check out uh, Stephen and, and Matt Fisher's book. Uh, it's available, I believe, as of uh, the recording, or I should say the uh, releasing of this podcast. And again, it is uh, available for you uh, w- when you think it's the right time. And it's called Light Shines Through the Broken Pieces, A Father and Son's Journey to Healing. Uh, thank you again, Stephen. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch up with you guys on the next episode of the Becoming Kings podcast. Take care. That's it for this one, and I want to thank you for listening. Hey, if you got some good ideas from this episode and you want more, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. And if you think others may benefit from it also, share it on social media and tag me in your post so I can say hey. It would also mean a lot to me if you felt inclined to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts since I read every single one of them. And if you've got any questions or topics that you'd like to recommend, or really just anything that you think I could improve upon, man, I thrive on constructive feedback. So hit me up with an email at podcast at johnnyking.com. Oh, and feel free to also subscribe to my YouTube channel, connect with me on LinkedIn, and follow me on Instagram at johnnyking and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash johnnykingmenscoach. Thanks again for joining me. I'll catch you next time.